Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to New Books in East Asian Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Li Pingchen, one of the hosts of the channel. Today, we will be talking to Dr. Lin Peiying and Dr. Li Wenqi about a book that they recently edited. This book is Taiwanese Literature as World Literature. This book is published by Bloomsbury in 2022. Throughout the colonial era, Taiwanese writers gained inspiration from global literary trends mainly, but not exclusively, through the medium of Japanese and Chinese. Modernism has been the mainstream style in 1960s Taiwanese literature, and since the 1980s, Taiwanese literature has demonstrated a unique trajectory shaped by postmodernism and postcolonialism. These movements demonstrate Taiwanese writers' creative adaptations of world literary thoughts as a response to their local and transnational reality. During the post-war year, Taiwanese literature began to be more systematically introduced to world readers through translation. Over the past few decades, Taiwanese authors and their translated works have participated in global conversations, such as those on climate change, the post-truth era, and ethnic and gender equality. Bringing together scholars and translators from Europe, North America, and East Asia, this book focuses on three interrelated themes. First, the framing and wording ploys of Taiwanese literature. Second, Taiwanese writers' experience of transculturation. And third, politics behind translating Taiwanese literature. This book stimulates new ways of conceptualizing Taiwanese literature, demonstrate remarkable cases of Taiwanese authors' co-option of world trends in their Taiwanese-concerned writing, and explore its readership and dissemination. Only through viewing Taiwanese literature as world literature can we redress the limits of national identity and fully examine writers' transcultural practice, global-minded vision, and the politics of its circulation. All right, this is a brief introduction about the book, and now let's hear from the editors now. Pei Ying and Wen Qi, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, hello, hello. <laughs> All right. So uh, thank you for agreeing to be on the show. And before we uh, delve into the books, uh, we would like to know a little bit more about you. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself, your affiliation, research interest, and anything you would like to share with our audience? Okay, so I go first. So I'm Wen Chi Li. I received my PhD in Sinology from the University of Zurich. My research fields include Taiwanese literature, post-colonialism, Sinophone studies, gender studies, translation theories, and world literature. As an editor, I co-edited the Chinese book uh, Under the Same Roof, a poetry anthology for LGBTQ in Chinese called Tong Zai Yi Ge Wu Yan Xia. 
in 2019. And my co-translation of Yamu's works won me first prize in the 2018 John Dryden Translation Competition. In 2022, Pei and I also co-founded the World Literature from Taiwan series in Ballastia Press in the UK. And currently, I'm the postdoc fellows at the Institute for Advanced Studies in the Humanities, the University of Edinburgh. This June, I will go to the University of Oxford to continue my research because I acquired the Swiss National Science Foundation postdoc mobility fellowship. The fellowship lasts for two years. All right. Thank you, Wenqi, for sharing. And again, congratulations on Thank the you. translation prize that you got. And um, so how about uh, Peiying? Oh, uh, yeah, sure. Uh, first of all, I would like to thank Li Ping for giving us this opportunity to introduce the book. And also thank you for your very generous introduction. Uh, currently, uh, I teach in the University of Hong Kong. I received my PhD from SOAS, University of London, but that was ages ago, so it's like a very big memory for me now. Uh, so uh, the Hong Kong U job is my third full-time job, and previously I taught at the University of um, Cambridge, and before that is at the uh, National University of Singapore. Uh, I also held fellowship from Harvard and also from Leiden, where I taught for one semester in the autumn of 2020. Um, my research has largely concentrated on Taiwan. Although teaching-wise, I cover a much wider range of Chinese language films and literary texts. So far, uh, I have edited a few books, but uh, today I think I'll just share with you my two single author manuscripts. The first one is the English book uh, published in 2017 by Brio. It's entitled Colonial Taiwan, Negotiating Identities and Modernity Through Literature. The book covers both Chinese and Japanese literary works produced in the 1920s to 1945 by a few quite canonical or established writers and also uh, a, a couple of like popular romance writers. Um, my main goal in this book is to challenge the existing politicized and moralistic interpretations. And I try to historicize those literary texts as far as possible and also to highlight the dual linguistic literary system and very complex identity process of authors uh, who lived during this period of time. Uh, my more recent book uh, is a Chinese uh, monograph entitled Taiwan Wenxue中的性别与族裔 uh, gender and ethnicity in Taiwanese literature, and it's kind of quite um, like a, have a long historical span because it covers not only the colonial era but also contemporary era. Uh, it has about like uh, 12 chapters, if I remember correctly, and so there are some uh, old chapters and some newly written chapters. And so when I mean gender, I took it not just women writers' books, but also like uh, sentimentalism or details in narrative that often associated with feminine 
community. And in terms of ethnicity, I cover like works by Taiwanese authors of different ethnic backgrounds and also Han authors who somehow in their works try to um, explore or represent races in and also outside of Taiwan. Okay, that's my answer. Thank you. All right. Thank you, uh, Payin, for sharing, and especially about the research and the book uh, written in both uh, languages. And uh, with that, now we know a little bit about our editors here. But how do you start this amazing book project? Can you tell us about the inspiration or any anecdote what make this happen? Well, uh, I saw Guifeng Chiu mentioned the Bluesberry series, which is uh, literature as well literature in the call for paper post for Britain for Taiwanese literature. And I said this to Payne, and she was very excited to edit the book. But the woman was so, so busy. <laughs> but she's too enthusiastic, you know. And then we decided to write a proposal in the end. And we noticed that in a book series, most books are so, uh, works from Europe. So it gave the impression that the series was a little bit as it was centric. Therefore, we try to define our project as the first book that focuses on works from East Asian. We also thought that this series would be the best, op- uh, the best option if we want to publish a book on Taiwanese literature or literature. We thought about uh, other Taiwan-friendly publishing houses like Cambria Sinophone Series, Springer's uh, Sinophone and Taiwan C- Studies Series, maybe you already know that, and Routledge's uh, Research on Taiwan Series organized by Duffy Fail. But it was too bad. It was not bad, actually. It was not so bad to get out of our comfort zone and mix with uh, mix our project with other literatures. So we can reach other readers beyond Chinese studies. We choose the Bloomsbury series because we want to make Taiwanese literature more visible. We also think that this is a good chance to spend a whole volume and systematically investigate the translation and circulation of Taiwanese literature. So we imagine that our book critically responds to Shumesh's Sinophone studies and multiple concepts of world literature. When we try to think about what we could include for this project, Peilin said that we could focus on how Taiwan literature was influenced by global culture and ideological trend and how Taiwanese, uh, Taiwan excerpt is influenced on foreign readers. We invited Guifeng Cho and Carlos Rojas to contribute a chapter that could theoretically explain the political and cultural situation of Taiwan. We also invited uh, Inzen Liu, Nicolas Cadiz, and Darius Dirk to discuss how Japanese surrealism, global indigenous movement, and postmodernism inspired Taiwanese writers like Yang Chichang, Wu Mingyi, or Zhu, Tian, Zhu Tianwen. We invited uh, John Balkan, uh, Geno Gafik, and Pederica Passi, and Inze Huang to introduce English, French, Italian, and Japanese translation. And due to the limited space of the book, we cannot include translation from other countries. But uh, Shun Qi Xu was also invited to provide the case of Ed Li An's, uh, the butcher's wife, uh, Safu translation. All right. So thank you, Wenqi, and especially uh, thank you for uh, mentioning this uh, very rich uh, content and then also the different perspective. And I especially appreciate the uh, focused and approach 
of a global connection and also the network to unpack the translingual landscape, uh, transnational state of being, yeah, but also the transcultural practice. <laughs> <laughs> I would just say this is space idea because at the moment we're thinking like okay let's just do it like a translation or like do it like how how the works are translated or influence the other world beyond Taiwan. But Pei said okay I think it's better to talk about like how the foreign words or like the world influence have influence on Taiwanese writers. So I think this is her uh, kind of I think she's I mean Spain is quite smart in a way to to deal with this issue and i mean the, the outcome is really good i see like how the kind of influence and vice versa yeah i have to say Crane did a good job at the moment <laughs> okay I, I think i'll just add something and uh, yeah i did remember when she mentioned to me this uh Blomsbury world literature series but I couldn't remember how it got started in our conversation. <laughs> uh, but yeah, you did mention that to me. And I just remember at that time we contacted a few senior scholars, but often, um, I mean, they just said, okay, this is definitely a very worthwhile project, but it's like, uh, I'm too busy to commit to it or something. Yes. So, <laughs> Everyone's not busy at the moment. Uh, <laughs> like a, a few weeks or a month and we're not quite sure whether we're gonna like go ahead with this or but in the end um yeah thank Wenqi uh for being on board and because uh he did a lot of work especially uh toward the very final stage of this project so I guess uh from my own experience um why it got started uh I guess uh if I sort of push back uh, in a more like a distant past uh I guess uh personally I study English literature in Taiwan and Taiwan literature in England is it's a bit like a crossroads sort through of the exercise academically. So for me, I have always been quite curious about how Taiwan literature got uh, perceived outside of Taiwan and how uh, writers, they exerted their agency, but somehow absorbed very quickly and also very cleverly about how they can sort of grasp from outside of Taiwan, but sort of a remake into their literary inspirations. And I also became interested uh, when I heard from Professor Michelle Ye back in 2019 AAS meeting, that's before COVID started. And also uh, that she told me that Professor Guifen Cho at that time was editing a book called uh, Chinese Sinophone Literature as World Literature, something similar, but like a, a little bit more broadly, not just like focus on Taiwan. So at that time, I, I just thought of remember maybe it would be nice if some book can be done in a similar vein, but actually dedicating to Taiwan. And um, I guess uh, it's quite obvious because even at the very beginning of uh, modern Taiwanese literature, uh, like at the turn of the 20th century, writers like Xie Xueyu or Waiting the I mean, it's like very interesting for me when I first encountered their words because the setting is actually not in Taiwan, but somewhere like far away. It's actually about the French Revolution. So you could really see this sort of um, very uh, cerebral, complicated process of uh, being influenced by translated works to start with. And then they kind of try to find their own uh, literary style, and I think earlier in our informal chatting, we mentioned about uh, like Mulan, 
uh, poetry society, and also Li Ping. In your introduction, you talk about like a a lot of isms, like a modernism, postmodernism, postcolonialism. So, uh, I guess uh, somehow Taiwan really make a very interesting case studies for all these like big words. So. I guess uh, somehow nobody really like uh, live on its own. So that applies to Taiwan literature. We are really like a part of a larger literary world. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And also uh, for me, I will start to have interest in uh, translation of Taiwanese literature as world literature, this concept, much because when uh, in 2019, I got the, uh, no, 2018, I got the first prize in John Dryden translation competition. And at the moment, I was invited to the SOAS to, you know, to, to receive the prize. And then, of course, I was very lucky to encounter Susan Basnet, maybe some of the no, some of you may know the very famous uh, theorist in translation studies, Susan Basnet. And then I will have a chance to talk with other fellows whose interest in comparative literature and also world literature or like translation studies. And realize, I just somehow, just somehow, just something like click. And I just realized like, mm, it's very important to to translate Taiwanese uh, literature to the, and, and to int- introduce Taiwanese literature to the world. And then I think it's kind of, uh, Taiwanese literature is so rich and so beautiful. And, but it's much, much underestimated and particularly overshadowed by Chinese literature because everyone when us think about like Chinese uh, Chinese literature, like ch- literatures from Chinese speaking world. And every time we should think about like Chinese literature rather than Taiwanese literature. So I think it's not bad to promote Taiwanese literature as well literature. And that's the reason I think for me to 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 motivate me to 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 edit this book. Mm. Mm. Thank you both for sharing moments of highlights in this journey of making this wonderful book, especially in terms of Taiwan and the world, the different interaction, influence, and as some in some cases, maybe kind of tension in this kind of literary production and literary influence as well. And I believe we will uh, definitely unpack more with all the different case studies and different uh, chapters in this book. But uh, before that, let's look at the book title first. And we have this a uh, keyword that has been mentioned uh, several times in our conversation already. That is world literature. So can you tell us a little bit more about what is world literature? Okay, the term world literature was first coined, everyone knows, by Goethe. And many scholars in 20 and 21st century did rediscover the significance of the world. Uh, the world. You may have known Casanova's sociological studies of the World Republic of Letters, and also Moretti's also call for distant reading and attention to variations of the genres. And we particularly folk, uh, appreciate Demroche say, uh, shine away from the literary canon and focusing on the global circulation of literary texts. World literature is not a, circul- a collection of canonical books, but a process of circulation, translation, and production. And these theories, however, cannot escape their uh, European and North American background. Um, to, to illustrate, for example, the Guardians, uh, the first, uh, the ten, the one hundred greatest novel of all times. You know, there's this kind of title on on the news 
paper are often Europe, Euro and American centric, showing how Western works emerge, receive canonization and circulate within Europe and, and North American and even to the rest of the world. Readers around the world may have nowhere poets like Shakespeare, Milton, Wordsworth, Sherry, Byron, or WBSTS Elias, and even a contemporary poet Carol and Duffy. But who has enumerated poets from China? But who can enumerate a poet from China in addition to Li Bai, Du Fu? Not to mention if uh, people know any writers from Taiwan. So even if someone knows works from Taiwan, he or she usually reads without a comprehensive understanding of the history of local literature. Taiwanese works in the foreigner's eyes can be flattened, homogenized, and even stereotyped. We notice that uh, feminism and queer issues attract more uh, attention than anti-colonial distance a dominant themes of modern Taiwanese literature. This is likely because for readers are keen to learn about issues that are most relevant to them. So queer issues or like feminism are more popular as opposed to those, uh, those that reference a specific historical context. But feminism and queer issues are just one of the beautiful scenes of Taiwanese literature and culture. Foreigners may not see the forest for the trees, actually. All right. So uh, with uh, world literature and with this uh, framing and also this uh, lens to understand and appreciate uh, literary works. So uh, this second part of the book title is Taiwan literature, Taiwanese literature. And some of our reader might not be uh, very familiar with Taiwan and the literary production in Taiwan. So uh, can you first of all tell us a little bit about Taiwan? Okay, I'll try my best to answer this question. <laughs> yeah, this uh, might be one yeah. of the most difficult questions in this entire interview. Well, I guess people talk about Taiwan's very friendly people and like uh, bubble tea, tasty food, and like uh, chips now or whatever. But uh, I guess uh, what makes Taiwan quite unique is perhaps uh, its history. Um, for example, uh, back in like a 16th uh, century, uh, people know like uh, the Portuguese uh, stater, they gave the name uh, Iha Formosa, like beautiful island to Taiwan. So basically, uh, Taiwan uh, started to interact quite dynamically with the world during the age of discovery. Um, for people who came from like non-Chinese background, then you might be uh, like a surprised or sort of uh, interested to know that um, actually um, in terms of the multi-layer colonial history, uh, Spanish people came and, for example, they established in the northern tip of the island uh, around like 1626 to 1642, and uh, basically near uh, Jilong at the moment. So, or if people visited uh, Danshui, which is like a northern part of Taiwan, and then they could still see some like historical ruins. And uh, while um, 
Spanish people were in Taiwan, and in the southern Taiwan at that time, uh, the Dutch people also tried to occupy Taiwan, and then they kind of landed in currently um, Tainan, and then they were there uh, quite actively from 1624 to 1662. Uh, one of the very uh, renowned uh, historian, uh, Tonio Andrade, he called it like a cooperative colonization. That means uh, at that time on the island of Taiwan, like in the north, you have Spanish people and in the south and you have like um, the Dutch people and also you have the Han people and Taiwan's original uh, indigenous people. So it's like everybody somehow try to trade and try to basically live together. And of course, after that, uh, you have um, Zheng Chenggong, uh, who should have kicked the Dutch people out. Uh, that's like uh, around the late 17th century. And then here came the Qing rule uh, for about 211 years, if I <laughs> uh, calculated correctly. And then after that, it's more like a modern, the 20th century era that probably uh, people will be more familiar with. So uh, we started with uh, Japanese colonialism that lasted for 50 years from 1895 to 1945. And after that, there's some short transition period in which uh, a very uh, important uh, historical incident that seemed to be the defining moment of Taiwanese identity uh, that took place in 1947, the so-called February 28th incident. It's actually uh, the anniversary is coming soon. <laughs> so, And then after that, uh, probably people will be even more familiar with is the Nationalist Party ruled Taiwan period until uh, 2000, when uh, Taiwan basically um, had uh, its own sort of uh, indigenous um, um, identity or sort of um, new ruling party, basically after KMT's almost like a half century long single party rule because uh, it, around 2000, uh, we witnessed this uh, like a uh, political transition, like uh, DPP, the previous oppositional party became the ruling party and they are currently the ruling party now. So as you can see, Taiwan really um, underwent a lot of like uh, hips and bumps, like uh, historically, like uh, it's like a palimpsestic layer of uh, colonization. So I guess that's why it made Taiwan very interesting in terms of uh, theoretical framework if you want to talk about, uh, for example, uh, post-colonial studies, because uh, even now uh, people are still debating uh, when we could actually talk about Taiwan's post-colonial era, because uh, some people, they are very critical about the National Party's rule. So they refer to the National Party rule era as Taiwan's Re-colonial era, whereas other people um, probably just took it as like 1945 when Japan surrendered and Taiwan so-called returned to the Nationalist Party's rule. So that part is quite uh, controversial still. And then also uh, in terms of um, Taiwan's relationship with the Southeast Asian uh, countries, because uh, we continued. 
to have uh, immigrants coming from those countries and then they work as uh, different manual workers or like uh, domestic helpers. So in this regard, Taiwan somehow served as a little bit like a, a neo-colonial power. So I guess this is another layer that's very worth um, exploring. So I thought um, in many aspects, Taiwan just make a very fascinating case studies to many important issues nowadays. Right. Um, Payne, thank you for this uh, historical overview, especially for the political transition and also the serial colonization of Taiwan uh, that shaped Taiwan to be a multi-ethnic, multilingual, multicultural as well. And this diversity uh, also uh, enhanced, has been enhanced. And then one of the uh, example, if I may add, most recently is 2019, uh, Taiwan legalized a same-sex marriage. So, uh, this island is moving towards to uh, 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 advance minority rights, LGBTQ rights, and also all other different social activism, and uh, in addition to a political uh, movement as well. And uh, with that said, we now know a little bit about the island, and especially the history, culture, and the society composition. What about the literature? So what about the literary uh, production? Uh, in Taiwan? Well, uh, following uh, Payne's idea, Taiwan was considered free China during the Cold War. And Taiwan's identity does not emerge until the Wai movement, particularly the Formosa incident in 1979, when Taiwan wanted to give away, uh, to give away the title Free China and asserted its cultural identity to the world. China became an economic, political, and cultural powerhouse. Taiwanese identity was smothered by the KMT government in the White Terror and now is repressed by the CCP authority. So in the past, Taiwanese literature was considered part of Chinese literature and it provided a perspective on Chinese culture that looks free and democratic and was not destroyed by the CCP. In the 1975, in the 1975 English anthology, an anthology of contemporary Chinese literature edited by Qi Bang Yuan, the Chinese image was what Taiwan was presented to the world. In the 1990s, the Taiwanese government started to sponsor the translation of Taiwanese literature and used this way to promote its soft uh, culture group, uh, to promote its soft culture globally. But at the same time, China started to open the gate to the world, and people in the world started to be interested in Chinese culture and literature. Sinologists tended, uh, tended to switch their focus from Taiwan as free China to mainland China itself. And American and European publishers tended to publish works from China if they were interesting from uh, interesting. Uh, something from Chinese speaker speaking world. They may appreciate Lu Xin, for example, as the father of uh, modern Chinese literature, but underestimated uh, Lai He as the father of modern Taiwanese literature. So nobody knows Lu uh, nobody knows Lu Lai He, but everyone knows Lai He. Uh, everybody, everyone knows uh, Lu Xin, but nobody knows Lai He. <laughs> Taiwanese identity and literature was uh, constantly marginalized and regarded as trivial and insignificant. This is indeed unfair to Taiwanese literature. 
During Taiwan,、uh, during Japanese rule, the windmill poetry society started to use surrealist, surrealist poetics inspired by Japanese and French poets to represent colonial discontent. In the 1960s, modernist poets read American and European literature to explore new aesthetic values beyond political control and propagandistic literature. In the 1970s, witness the localization of Taiwanese literature and the emergence of Taiwanese identity. In the 1980s, writers such as Xia Yu, Chen Li, and Li Ang started to adopt postmodernist and postcolonial approaches to challenge the grand narrative of the KMT, KMT authority. These literary、uh, representa- representations are much influenced by global literary trend and social movements. In a nutshell, Taiwanese literature is constantly interacting with the world, and we cannot see it as a singular event, excluded from the world. Right. Thank you, Wenqi. And especially, you mentioned about the shifts in the political landscape, and then, for example, Cold War and also contemporary、uh, political situation.、Uh, earlier,、uh, Payne also talked about the、uh, colonial context as well, and then to situate Taiwan, as you mentioned, not as a singular location of literary production, but inside a global network where、uh, writers read each other. And then also translating different work, and then have different literary、uh, inspiration as well.、Um, so、uh, with that, now uh, we uh, unpacked the complexity of the book title. We know the world literature a little bit about Taiwan, and also the Taiwan literary landscape. Now we will be moving on to.、Uh, Talk about the book itself. This book is divided in three parts, and then the first part is about methodology. This is about the approach, and also understanding and study of Taiwan literature as world literature. So,、uh, can you tell us a little bit about part one, and especially as、uh, for methodology? Okay, I will take the questions. So.、Um... For the first part,、uh, it consists of、uh, three chapters.、Uh, I'll just introduce those chapters one by one. The first chapter is written by Professor Guifen Chou, and so Professor Chou's chapter is fairly straightforward.、Uh, it introduces two transnational frameworks for the study of Taiwanese literature.、Uh, the first one is Sinophone literature, and the second one is World literature. For the first framework,、um, the chapter argues that it tends to focus on the problematics of Chinese and Chineseness, and emphasizes the importance of place-based imagination, which is a point highlighted already by Shishumei.、Uh, for Professor Chou Guifen, she said,、um, or she argues that、uh, this Sinophone framework is particularly relevant or important to examine Ma Hua or Taiwan's indigenous literature, and as 
if you have any chance um, of reading her chapter, then uh, she mentioned uh, like uh, Li Yongping and Huang Jingshu and Chou Huifen, etc. And uh, also a few uh, indigenous uh, writers' name uh, that sort of fit quite well within this Sinophone framework. And the second framework she discusses is the world literature framework. Of course, uh, it can go back to David Damrush's conceptualization conceptualization of the term as a mode of uh, circulation rather than as a mode of reading. So uh, Cho proposed a scheme of uh, international recognition indicators uh, abbreviated as IRI, International Recognition Indicators. Yeah. So uh, and she sort of uh, talked about different indicators that include winning awards like Nobel Prize or whatever, Man Book Prize or something, and like a research publication in languages other than Chinese or like uh, invited writers in resident scheme from foreign countries. Or now since we all live in a digital world, so we could also look at the digital platform entry such as English, Wikipedia, things like that. They are all very useful indicators to help us sort of evaluate how worldly certain writers have become. And also uh, Cho Guifen uh, discusses this um, current additive volume, which is the book we are discussing today uh, with the violence she co-edited with the late scholar Zhang Yingjing, which is basically uh, also on world literature, but it's more like a, just a Chinese literature overall. And so she kind of talked about how other scholars also try to approach this uh, idea like a sign of uh, Chinese literature as like world literature. So uh, if you are interested, then you can uh, read her chapter and she talk about Michelle Ye's article, and of course, Shumei, and also the Cornell Bay scholar Andrea Buckner's article. So and in the end, she very beautifully wrapped up her chapter by using Yang Mu, a very well-known Taiwanese poet, as a case study. Because uh, according to her, uh, Yang Mu served a very good example who can be studied as a sinophone author and also a world literature author. So it's somehow uh, she, she tried to argue that uh, none of them is like a very perfect, flawless framework. So it really depends on what you try to argue. And then somehow even for the same author, you can put him or her in different frameworks, then you will see different things. And the second chapter um, is uh, written by Carlos Rojas, who is based in uh, Duke University. His chapter has a very interesting uh, take and probably a little bit like eccentric <laughs> in terms of his approach because uh, it begins with um, Vietnam's 1870 to novel around the world in 80 days, which proved that uh, the world has become smaller and smaller. And somehow Carlos juxtaposes this book with David Damrosh around the world project to explore how worldly works have been produced by authors who reflect to the world around and beyond them. And the chapter also point out the impact of historical contingency in the formation of the category 
of any like uh, national literature such as uh, Taiwan literature, and its boundary continues to remain very very fuzzy. Uh, it also uses uh, Wu Mingyi, uh, the very famous novel Fu uh, Yanren, the man with the compound eyes, as his primary case to illustrate how this particular novel can be regarded as a figurative hinge between the fields of Taiwanese and also world literature. So basically, uh, Carlos and also um, Chou Guifen, they both try to kind of uh, discuss certain literary works, which seem to fit both frameworks. And Carlos' uh, chapter concludes with a very positive note. Uh, he basically uh, used Wu Mingyi's case because uh, Wu Mingyi tried to uh, ask the award-giving body to correct that his like, uh, nationality or background as just Taiwan rather than Taiwan, comma, China. So basically, uh, Carlos argues that uh, despite that, authors from Taiwan had to face different constraints, not just political constraints, but could be aesthetic constraints or whatever constraints. But somehow those disruptive forces could actually be a productive precondition for literary creativity itself. So I think... uh, he just basically tried to argue despite all the challenges authors might need to face or respond to. Uh, but I think uh, if you can sort of turn those constraints into something conducive or creative, and then that seemed to be like uh, the way forward. Yeah. So um, I don't know if uh, Li Ping want to respond to this, or should I continue with introducing the last chapter of this section? Yeah, I mean, um, of course. So, uh, and then the last chapter is actually by paying yourself. So look forward to hear you talking more about it. Okay, sure. Uh, so um, my own contribution is the third chapter, which is the last chapter of this first part. Uh, so in this um, chapter, um, I use basically uh, three case studies. And so each case study illustrates one particular literary jar that I tried to uh, discuss and to sort of test to what extent it somehow facilitates Taiwan literature entering the world literature realm. So um, in the first case I use is uh, Shona Yang, uh, Yang Xiaona in Chinese. Uh, she actually uh, wrote in English, but um, uh, she's an award-winning Taiwanese-American author. Uh, so I try to arg- use her as a case study to argue that when we talk about the circulation of literary words, it, we often tend to talk about uh, Chinese word being translated into English or other languages. But I, I try to sort of uh, look at this so-called uh, reverse route of circulation because the novel by Shona Yang uh, is in English uh, initially and it got translated into Chinese and actually finally reached the audience in Taiwan. Uh, I'm talking about uh, Green Island, her book on Taiwan's February 28th incident. So I just thought that's quite interesting because uh, it kind of uh, elicited uh, different uh, viewpoints in Taiwan. And my second case study, um, it's uh, Taiwan's Dawu uh, author, indigenous author, Xiaman Lan Bo'an. Uh, I sort of 
uh, discusses uh, his circulation in Japan because I also try to highlight this inter-East Asian circulation rather than always like a East-West sort of uh, circulation. And the third case study is a very contemporary author, uh, Lian Mingwei. Uh, I should have used him as a case study to demonstrate uh, certain Taiwanese writers world making. It's like uh, to create the world because um, the, the world making ability in their creative writing uh, because uh, he is a very well-traveled author, relatively speaking. So in his at least two novels, he talk about like a Filipino Chinese or different people he encountered uh, in Canada while doing some part-time job there. So uh, I also try to uh, broaden up, like uh, when you talk about Taiwan literature, uh, even the writer is Taiwanese, but then in terms of their literary imagination, or their literary concern is actually far beyond Taiwan itself. So I think this aspect should also be taken into consideration when we talk about how Taiwan literature gets circulated or read in the world. And so in terms of the genres, each of these three authors I talk about, um, uh, I, I use them as sort of to highlight um, how these very three common genres, uh, basically uh, Shona Yang's novel is like a family saga, like a jia zu shi or something like that in Chinese. And Xia Man Lan Buan's case is like a autobiographic writing, uh, more like a zi zhuan. And the third case, Lian Mingwei, um, is like a Bildung's Holman, Chen Zhang Xiaoshuo, or initiation novel. So those three jars are pretty much, I would say, very universal. It's nothing specific about Taiwan. So uh, my general take of these three jars uh, is uh, I think they sort of um, somehow just employ those very, very commonly available existing genres, though that somehow make their uh, sort of journey into the world a little bit easier. But I'm not sure when they were composing the work, whether they sort of thought about this kind of really like a larger world readership, but somehow uh, like in retrospect, they didn't really use something very strange in terms of the literary form. So somehow they kind of just like uh, adopted something that's already there and very common. So I guess uh, perhaps by starting with something more like a common ground, then somehow you could sort of maybe insert Taiwan's particularities gradually sort of to bridge uh, this sort of... uh, more like um, Taiwan's uniqueness and also sort of Taiwan's contribution to the commonly shared world issues. Yeah. Right. And then thank you, Payne, for introducing uh, part one and especially about each authors, yourself included, the critical reflection on the literary taxonomy, mechanism of categorization, but also the route of the root of circulation and also the writer's vision of world uh, making as well. Uh, With this uh, methodology part covered, and now the second part is about the uh, transcultural and specifically the transcultural practice and transculturation. So uh, there are also three chapters, I believe, in this uh, part. And then can you tell us more about these chapters and then 
What's the、uh, transculturation in Taiwan literature? Okay,、uh, in our volumes, we particularly focus on transcultural practice of the Wenmin Poetry Society, Wenminyi and Zhu Tianwen. The Wenmin Poetry Society leader Yang Chichang has admitted that his aesthetic values were inspired by the multiple Japanese writers such as Haruyama Yukio. Anzai Anzai Fuye and Nishiwaki Junzai Junzai Buro, and Ethan Liu, our contributor in her book chapter, further argued that these Japanese writers and critics were also inspired by French writer authors such as Charles、uh, Baudelaire, Pierre Ravadi, Ivan Gaul, Andre Breton. Influence does not suggest merely, uh, just merely suggest in imitation. Both、uh, Taiwanese and、uh, Japanese writer have adopted and localized their literary、uh, strategies. So therefore,、uh, Yang Zhichang's surrealism is not so authentic, but also has more Taiwanese flavor, and it and it is used to depict the city of Tainan, the city, and criticize severely the Japanese rule. In the case of Notes of a Desolate Man, uh, Huang Lin's Diary, Zhu Tianwen portrays a cosmopolitan gay yuppie protagonist with so many Western culture and intellectual references. Nick Cardis, our contributor, argued that the leap between high and low cultures, the non-linear st-、uh, storyline, the pastiche of、uh, allusions, and the depiction of so many foreign things in the novel, all can be considered a strategy of alienation. Rather than being engaged in the feeling of loneliness and despair, the hero instead seeks heaven in this narrative. Taxonomies such as details of Tokyo geography and trend lines, alias T.S. Eliot's The Westland, Taoism, The New Testament, and the Japanese Festival of the Dead, and Zhu Tianwen the author presentation、uh, pre- representation of the unfamiliar cultures for Taiwanese readers create a strange reading experience. For particularly for Taiwanese reader, for example, it is、uh, it is unsettling and foreign. It is foreign and disturbing, and it unsettles even destabilizes Taiwanese readers and even their views. So, and another one in the case of、uh, Umi Yi, our contributor Darius Dirk tried to avoid the ecological concern that has been so popular in Umi、uh, studies because. I just remember that、like, I just contact Darius Dirk, and he said like, "Oh, this is so populist perspective,、uh, ecological concern of ecological perspective, is so so popular." If you want to switch a little bit to another concern, like an indigenous concern, so instead he argued that Wu may be primer prim primitivist, and see. Solutions to the modern problems located in indigenous culture, and Umi's primitivism does not simplify indigenous culture, but is featured by knowledge of indigenous culture in histories. Indigenous content is the most attractive part in the the man with the compound eyes, for its a、uh, cosmopolitan readers. Dari even argued that indigenous content also enabled this work to be a work of environmental world literature. So you see, in the three chapters, like for Zhu Tianwen and for 
uh, windmill poetry society and also for uh, Wumi's uh, uh, novels. Different authors contributors in our book have different concerns and they have different views on the idea of uh, about the idea of uh, world literature. Right, and then uh, I especially appreciate the authors unpacking the interconnectedness between the global influence and also local elements as they analyze in each of the uh, writer's work and also uh, as uh, Wenqi, uh, you introduce as well. So uh, with the second part, transculturation covered, and now we will be moving to the next part that will be translation, especially about translating Taiwanese literature into different languages for uh, all, uh, readers of different uh, languages and cultures. So uh, can you tell us about how Taiwan literature is translated, circulated, and received in the global context? Okay, I'll take uh, this question, but I think uh, Wenqi is probably better qualified to answer this question because he's a practicing translator, but I'm just like uh, trying to tackle it from more like a t academic perspective. Uh, I, I actually wrote a book chapter related to this topic uh, in an edited volume entitled Positioning Taiwan in a Global Contest, which is a 20. 19 edited book published by Routledge. So uh, basically, uh, in terms of the translation, Taiwan has been treated, uh, as Wenqi said at the very beginning, basically like a free China or this sort of label or this tag that seemed to just like uh, go along with the early governmental attempt of translating Taiwan literature because at that time, it's the early Cold War sort of a context. So, um, the Nationalist Party or the KMT government, they try to sort of uh, differentiate uh, their rule like from the communist China's rule. So uh, Taiwan has been sort of really like a packaged into this sort of a Chinese literature, but it's like a, the better one or the free version of Chinese literature. And so it sort of started um, maybe around uh, 70s, uh, like mid 70s. Uh, earlier, when she also mentioned uh, Professor Qi Bangyuan's anthology, that's one of the earlier examples of this sort of um, translation projects. And so um, at that time, in terms of works that were selected into different anthologies, usually, I think as already Li Ping also mentioned, like um, usually they are like a uh, modernist works or maybe so-called nativist, like Xiangtu Wenxuan, nativist works. So uh, not many anthologies, at least not early earlier ones, they tackle like colonial Taiwanese literature. This is probably quite understandable because uh, when KMT came to Taiwan, they tried very hard to basically um, de-Japanize Taiwan or Taiwanese culture and re-sanify Taiwan people and Taiwanese culture in order to legitimate their rule over the island. So that's why uh, the literary legacy left by colonial era it was sort of a very, very marginalized or if not like totally surprised. But in terms of linguistic 
change because uh, Mandarin Chinese became the national language. So that's uh, I guess uh, that's a very unfortunate sort of gap in terms of relating Taiwan literature to the world. But luckily, this situation got addressed uh, in around maybe 1980s because uh, around 1983, for example, um, there's an anthology, The Unbroken China, uh, edited by Joseph Lau, who unfortunately passed away recently. Um, in this anthology uh, published in 1983, finally, uh, colonial Taiwanese works such as uh, Lai Ke's so now joining in the fun, it was uh, compiled into this anthology. But this sort of colonial Taiwanese literature work, they were not included before. And we can also see some sort of trends of uh, grouping Taiwan more diversely uh, since the 1990s. For example, before 1990s, usually uh, we try to pretend like a Taiwan literature as sort of just like a Chinese literature, some sort of the more interesting alternative perhaps. And then, but around 1990s and Taiwan somehow could be mentioned because that's already post the post martial law era. So basically uh, you can see anthology that sort of highlight Taiwan vis-a-vis other Sinophone speaking communities such as uh, Hong Kong and Singapore or things like that. So uh, the anthology became more uh, specialized and you could have a very specific theme such as a woman literature or certain like a theme how it got sort of uh, circulated or explored by different Sinophone writers. So there are more, I would say more channels for Taiwan literature to be seen and perceived uh, by the world readers, but not just like Taiwan on its own, sometimes just like uh, Taiwan and other Sinophone speaking communities. So uh, looking back, I would say um, the publication channels have become more diverse nowadays. And before you usually just have the university press such as uh, Columbia UP or smaller independent presses with a very specific taste for uh, East Asian literature, like a home for press in London because they somehow contacted uh, Daryl Sturk to try to get a sort of a retranslation of uh, Laihe uh, because this particular press, they just specialize in East Asian literature. So there are like different choices to go when you are talking about which press might be interested in publishing the translation of Taiwanese literature. And as I mentioned, um, Apart from like a Columbia UP, these uh, academic uh, sort of out channels, uh, I also want to mention this um, Taiwan Literature English English Translation Series that uh, was um, launched by Professor Du Guoqing, uh, but he retired from uh, UC Santa Barbara. But uh, while he was in Santa Barbara, he organized this uh, Center for Taiwan Studies, and then they had this very specifically themed series that just uh, continued to publish Taiwan literature. Uh, as a teacher, I found this series very, very useful because often 
if I want to introduce Taiwan literature to non-Chinese students, I have to use those texts that already are translated. So uh, often I need to go back to this um, uh, series because they have a lot of shorter stories I can use for my teaching. So I found it very, very valuable versus like Columbia UP, uh, which is also very valuable, but often it's like a long novel. I don't normally assign my students to read the entire novel. So in terms of teaching materials, I guess um, uh, all these sort of uh, channels I mentioned, they are actually sort of uh, contributing to the whole world of uh, translating Taiwan literature and also make uh, teaching Taiwanese literature in translation an easier task. But of course, um, there's still a very, very long way to go. And I guess um, also I want to mention um, this um, some sort of governmental funding, uh, like for example, the National Museum of Taiwan Literature. I think nowadays, uh, just to be fair, although the government could still do a lot more, but they are trying very hard to explore Taiwan literature to the world, not only in English, but also in other minor languages as well. But uh, it was just like a, a long journey, but we are still getting there like gradually. I'll stop here. Thank you. All right. So thank you, Paying, for uh, introducing this context and also uh, circulation and reception of Taiwanese literature after it, after it is translated. And then especially in terms of the uh, different goals. The first one may be in the beginning, nationalist regime to kind of increase the global presence and to promote um, the so-called uh, free China earlier we uh, mentioned, especially in the Cold period. But later on, as you mentioned in the 90s, we see more of the uh, nativist literary writers. They have uh, local consciousness and also the diverse themes uh, about Taiwan. And I especially also appreciate that you mentioned this uh, diversity of the uh, uh, publishing outlet too. It's in addition to university university press, there's all other independent press or uh, literary magazines, academic journal, they are interested in uh, introducing and uh, promoting Taiwan literature uh, to their uh, readers. Um, so with that, uh, now I will be turning to, uh, uh, to uh, Wenqi, and especially you contribute one chapter in part three and about the translation. And Again, Wenqi is an award-winning translator, and uh, <laughs> you tell us uh, more about the chapter that you contributed in this book. Okay, uh, so uh, the book, uh, the chap, the book chapter I contributed is related to Chomaji's uh, lesbian works. So uh, I think since the concept of world literature is much related to the degree of circulation, so I think it's better that we should check the website such as goodreads.com to know how Taiwanese uh, works has been perceived around the world. And Chou Miaoji is a significant case in our volume. Compared with other cases such as Wu Ming Yi and Zhu Tianwen, Chiu Miaoji has much more comments on goodreads.com. She received over 600 uh, comments for North of a Crocodile and six, uh, 200 comments for Less Words from Momater. 
after reading Notes of a cro、uh, Crocodile, for example, a reader says, "I just quote here. I say a lot of I I saw sorry I saw a lot of myself in Lazi. You know the heroine, her relationship with others and her feelings and thought. I relate to her more than I care to admit." Okay, this is the quote. The end quote. Another readers who read less words from Mamate wrote also. I quote here again. I read this book with the momentous burden of Chomyeonjin's heart, which intertwined with mine so resolute. For I too had suffered a great loss, a love disintegrated, a soul betrayed, and perhaps karma redeeming. I too felt the cold hand. Hands of suicide trembling around my vital organs, bleeding from my eyes, lips, and ears. I feel the scarring step. I feel hurt in、uh, as I read my own heart to itself. So you can see kind of、uh, comments quite related to themselves. And another even compare, for example, I, another readers even compare Chomyeonjin similar emotions and ideas to the feelings represented in. For example, James Baldwin's、uh, Giovanni's Room, Sylvia Plath's The Bell Jail,、uh, Elif Batuman's The Idiot, and the poems and the early death of Teresa Hak Kyung、uh, Cha. You can see you can see how Chiu's、uh, Chiu Miao-jin's work are circulating throughout the world because of the resonance with readers' miserable adulthoods or gender identity. The work seems. To confront them, tell them that they are not alone in the closet, and even take part in the shaping the take part in shaping the queer identity of the foreign readers. However, as I have mentioned, how literature once being circulated throughout the world can be flattened and even limited to a specific perspective. So most、uh, readers do not notice actually the the story. It the, do not notice that. The story is actually set in a transitional moment when Taiwan was、uh, going to lift martial law. On good、uh, goodreads.com, some readers still label Chiu Miao-jin's work as, for example, Chinese literature, or even a term like location China, or even in the more general homogenizing sense as East Asian or Asian literature. The label、uh, Taiwanese literature or Taiwan literature, to my knowledge, does not exist. Taiwanese literature may sound unfamiliar to foreign readers' ears at the moment, but I'm not pessimistic. It just means that we need to spend more time and effort to promoting our literature, as the numbers of translations increase, it will slowly、uh, be accepted. Right, and then thank you,、uh, Wenqi, for sharing, and especially about the reader response and also the、uh, reception of the translation. And、uh, so we talk about the book, and now I want to、uh, hear from the、uh, editors, especially. About behind the scenes, so any topics or materials that didn't get to be included in the book, or what are the most unexpected material or moments that you encounter in the making or in the editing of this book? Hmm. Ah,、uh, well, I think most of readers are quite curious why 
I mean, in this value, we don't include a Dutch translation or Czech or other language translations. Well, due to the limited space, we could not include, Czech, uh, for example, like German, Czech, Arabic, or Korean translations. And even compare with English, French, and Japanese translations, Taiwanese work published in those countries are relatively rare, actually. And we don't think that we will have a deep analysis of uh, translation theory. We don't. We think we will have a deep analysis of translation theory, his oh, sorry translation history, and focusing on French, uh, English, and Japanese translations seems more reasonable. Actually, we personally know that uh, Federica and think Italian translation can be included in our project. In her chapter, Federica believed that uh, Italian as a minor language and culture in contemporary Europe. But strong in its tradition, can correspond to Taiwan being marginalized by the Chinese-speaking world and even in the world. Do you think that two minor uh, minor language, Taiwan and Italy, can equally exchange their cultural capitals? For Dutch translation, I remember I invited my friend Sylvia, but she's a freelancer and need to work to support her life. She cannot write an academic article without other Iranian. I understand, and maybe I will find other opportunities to cooperate with her in the future. Okay, I will also add something. Uh, I guess um, if I remember correctly, why we didn't include German. It's because uh, at that time when we asked around our friends who basically are German friends, but who work on like a modern Chinese literature about this potential topic or chapter, then the answer we got usually they just said uh, German people, they don't read too much about translated words, let alone translated word from China or Taiwan. So basically um, from what we got from our German friends or informants, they just felt um, probably there won't be enough material to make a very interesting um, chapter. So that's why we sort of dropped German. Um, in terms of unexpected result, maybe I will highlight perhaps um, Indra's chapter because uh, he covers Japanese translation of um, Taiwanese literature. And in his argument, he basically mentioned like uh, Taiwan's uh, like uh, same-sex literature has been quite well received in Japan. And to the extent that reading those translated words from Taiwan somehow helps or facilitate the formulation of uh, Japan's own gender discourse. So I found that part very, very fascinating because uh, when we talk about translation, uh, it's very, we, we, we sort of kind of just focus on how it got translated and then but in this particular chapter, I just felt uh, actually you can see some very concrete impact about Taiwan literature uh, in Japan literature, especially this sort of gender-related issue. So I, I thought that sort of um, make a very powerful uh, argument that uh, Taiwan actually could exert some sort of influence on others rather than always being influenced by other people. And I, I guess we could include many other case studies in terms of uh, perhaps the transculturation part or even just the translation part. So 
but I guess um, no one will want to publish a book that's more than maybe 100,000 words or something like that. So we just have to cut somewhere. So perhaps uh, other scholars could um, like uh, also contribute to this sort of uh, same effort of uh, pushing Taiwan literature more as world literature in the future. Yeah. Yeah, thank you both for sharing the uh, the uh, different considerations and some challenges you encounter and uh, different uh, moments of encounter and highlights in the process of editing this book. And uh, uh, totally agree with the length about the book. So maybe we are uh, maybe uh, the second book, <laughs> possibly. Uh, um, Taiwan literature as world literature to continue to explore different case studies and then different uh, language uh, context as well. So for that, so now we were moving toward the end for our interview and we are going to ask uh, each of you the traditional final question here at New Books Network. That is, uh, what are the projects you are working on right now or what's your next uh, plan, uh, if you can share with us? Well, uh, Payne and uh, I are working with uh, Carlos Rojas on the new project uh, called Literary History of Taiwan in the New Millennium. And it will be published by Cambria. We are trying to collect manuscript right now. <laughs> but still like, oh, we still, you know, people are still writing something. So we just uh, try to collect, collect those manuscripts and we have to review. And we explore the topic of family and justice, migration, indigeneity, future, uh, future, futurity, and desire. And we intend to include not only the literary works of specific authors, but also critically reflect on the social and cultural changes in the 20, uh, 20, uh, 21st century. And for the world literature from Taiwan series published uh, in Ballastier Press, established by uh, Payne and me, and we are very lucky to receive some grants from Book from Taiwan. You know, the Book from Taiwan is uh, give, uh, grants. Uh, published grants by, uh, designed by uh, Ministry of Culture in Taiwan. We invited France, uh, Francis Huck Jordan to translate Yang Shuang's The Season Where Flowers Bloom, Hua Kai Shi Jie, and Ellen Wang to work on Chinese uh, dynasty sense, Chao Shen. And my own project on translating Song Wenmin's Alliance, uh, Yi Xin, is also approved, and it will be con- co-conducted by my translation partner, Colin Branwell. The book series is still looking for some potential Taiwanese works. So we are welcome, we, we welcome unsolicited manuscripts. So please contact us and we will help you apply for the grant Books from Taiwan. And personally, I'm also going to publish Chen Kewa's poetry collection, Decapitated Poetry, Qian Kan Tong Shi, this April. And this work was was considered the first book of poetry, sorry, the first book of poems that explicitly represented queer design in Taiwan. I'm I'm very happy and also lucky to work with Seagull Books and publish the collection under the Price List series. For my post-doctor fellowship, I was doing my I'm doing my research on queer Taiwanese literature, and I want to explore the negative feelings such as depression, self hatred, self doubt, and sol- uh, solitude and shames in literary works. 
Okay, then、right. sounds like when she had a lot on his plate already. <laughs> uh, for me, uh, I'm in a sort of similar situation. Uh, apart from this、uh, very exciting co-edited uh volume when she just mentioned, uh, together with Carlos Rojas, uh, I'm working on another co-edited volume that will be on Taiwan's cultural and literary leftism. Uh, I'm also quite excited about this book because uh, we will have twelve chapters. And it will cover、uh, both like a very sort of、um, diverse、uh, sort of positioning in this very broad spectrum of、uh, leftism. So either people are pro independence leftists or pro unification leftists. They they will all be discussed, and it will be published by Sunni Press. And in terms of、uh, single author books, and I'm currently trying to revise my very drafty draft <laughs> on Taiwan's twenty、uh, first、uh, century literature.、Uh, the manuscripts are not done, but it's still rough and needs、uh, quite a lot of. Polishing, so I'm working on that. And apart from that, I have two ongoing projects. Uh, one is about um Taiwan's oceanic writing, or you can call um some sort of uh island imagination or archipelago imagination. So I would like to explore how ocean or island or archipelago. Could allow us to reconceptualize Taiwan vis-a-vis the world, and also because I'm based in Hong Kong, I'm also working on a mid-century or early post-war years sort of a Taiwan-Hong Kong cultural interactions against this、uh, general U.S. Cultural dominance, so it's more like a Cold War studies. So that's、uh, another two projects I'm also trying to make some progress when I have free time. But often I find myself just very busy with all the admin tasks. So I'm sort of、uh, trying very hard here, but hopefully、um, there will be some results soon. All right. Thank you both for sharing. Everything sounds great, and、uh, we look forward to reading more of your research, your work, your translation as well. So,、uh, with that said, I want to thank you both again for being on the show today. I really enjoy our conversation. Thank you. Thank、Gina. you. Thank you. Thank you. And I also want to thank you, our audience, for staying with us to the end. I hope everybody is staying safe, taking good care, and see you next time. Goodbye. Bye 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 bye. Bye bye. bye. bye, bye.